Amen. Well, before we get started, I don't know, I'm sure a lot of you guys know, most of you guys know, um, Pastor Chuck Smith passed away on Thursday morning at about three o'clock in the morning. And uh, I never knew him personally. I never had a conversation with him. But as I was telling the church on on Thursday night, um, next month will be 34 years that I came to Christ. And the week after I accepted the Lord, I was in his church. And so he's been a part of my life for 34 years. And he's made a huge impact on my life and on the hundreds of thousands and millions of people that this man has been able to, to reach only because he was a servant of Jesus. He just had a heart to serve and God called him and he was obedient to the call. And I'm sure he had no clue what God was going to do with him, except that he was a faithful servant of God. And um, just all the times that I sat under him or heard him, um, the thing that rings true in my heart is the fact that, that he was just a humble servant and he didn't want to make a big ado about anything especially about him, but everything about Jesus. Um, I heard about a conversation that uh, him and Don McClure had the other day, um, and that uh, he said, you know, I've been just, I wanted to go in the rapture. (laughs) And that's what he would always talk about. And Don says, you will have your own personal rapture. (laughs) And so bless the Lord. He uh, He is in glory, our brother all the things that he taught about and knew about, and now he's experiencing firsthand. What an awesome thing. And so continue to pray for his family. Continue to pray for his church. Um, they didn't have their pastor this morning. <laughs> and nor the family had their, their husband and their dad and, and grandpa. Continue to pray for them. Let's pray for them, and then we'll get into the word. Jesus, we, uh, we do want to bless you and thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord God, for our brother who has touched so many lives because he was just obedient to the call that you called him to. And Lord, you called him home and he was able to finish the race well. And what a blessing that is, Lord God. What an example he set for so many. Uh, We pray, Father, right now for his wife, Kay. We just lift her up to you, Lord, right now. I'm sure uh, it's just difficult for her. But Lord, be her strength be with his children and the in-laws. We pray, God, for all the grandkids and great-grandkids, Lord. We ask that you would bring peace and comfort upon the family. Lord, as it's sad for them, I'm sure they rejoice because of who this man was in their life as well. And Lord, we pray for Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa right now. We just ask that, God, you would be with them as they're mourning the loss of their pastor. And that God, those who will step in, Lord God, who have already, Lord God, that you continue to bless them and encourage them as they encourage the body. And Lord, for all those pastors who have been um, just mentored by this man, comfort their hearts, Lord, as they hurt. Comfort us here in this church, Lord, again. Lord, we're so blessed to be a part of that. And so, Lord, we thank you and praise you. Lord, we are so excited this morning that we get to open up your word. 
and we get to teach from your word, we get to hear from your word, and we pray that, God, you would just be glorified in all that you do here. Thank you so much, Lord God, for being our God, being the one who made it all, and you called us, and we bless you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let us rejoice. We have come to the end of the book of James. It's an amazing book. We have come to the end of our studies in the book of James as well. It's only taken us 14 studies to get to this point. I was looking back at you know, if I missed any Sundays, I didn't miss any Sundays. I was here all the time for, for James, so I'm excited about that. And I don't know if you got to catch all of them or some of them or part of them or however, but it has been an incredible, incredible book, and now we are at the end. Fini. Fin. We have been in the last chapter for a couple of weeks, <laughs> and now we are at the last study of this book. Practical Christian living has been the theme of the book of James. And that, that's why Paul, or Paul, James, kept on conveying to us that, that it is all about living this practical life. I, I know many of us want to be spiritual and we want to get into the deeper things of God, but honestly, guys, if you want to get deeper, do the practical do the practical, do the things that are written about in the Word of God. You want to get more spiritual? Do what the Word says. And that's what He has been trying to get across to us. Don't be just hearers of the Word. Be doers of the Word. And it is in doing the Word that you will live out this Christian life, this practical Christian life. And in living it out, you will grow. You will mature. You will achieve maturity. The the only way that that you can tell if someone is mature, in a sense, is by the way they talk and act. That's basically the only way you can tell if somebody is mature, in the way they talk and act. I don't know if you guys have ever been around little kids, say five years old and younger, that they're already talking, and all of a sudden they're around, and, and, and they just act a little too old for their age. You know, they're the type of kid that they could be around all the same age group and they put their hand on their hip. It's like, oh, they're so immature. They're like impatient with their own peers, you know. And, and, and we look at that and we're like, like, that's kind of funny because they're like little kids, but they're talking and they have this vocabulary. They're going, where did you get that? How did you know that? And we look at, at a kid like that and, and, and we label them mature. They're mature for their age. Look at the little kid. And the same is true in our Christian walk. The way we speak and the way we conduct ourselves will show our maturity in the Lord. Just the way we conduct ourselves. People will know if you're mature or not. Now that's not to say that we cannot have fun or mess around. And I probably say that to excuse my immaturity at times because I like to mess around and, and things like that. But I think a sign of maturity is knowing when to mess around and when not to. 
And I don't even get that one right all the time. I try, but I don't always get that one right too. But I, I went, if some of you guys have been in like in my office for counseling stuff, you know that I could get serious. And I, and I take this serious too. I really do. But, but, but again, I think sometimes people think that being serious is a sign of maturity. And that's not always the case. It just means that you probably don't have a sense of humor. And because of that, because you're serious all the time, you make people around you feel awkward. <laughs> it's like, man, is there any time you're not serious? You know, because again, if you're some, around somebody like that all the time, you almost feel like, man, do you ever laugh? Do you ever smile? <laughs> you see, it's not a sign of maturity just because you're serious. But James has been trying to teach us about maturity and what it means to be mature in Christ. The Bible says that out of the heart, the mouth speaks. What comes out of your mouth will always help someone or hinder them. And that's just the way it is. And when we're immature, more than likely we will be hurting people more often than not in the way we speak, in the way we conduct ourselves even. But our hearts should be that we want to help people and encourage them as we are growing in the Lord. We will not always get it right. But let's get it right more often than we get it wrong. We will not always get it right. But let's get it right more often than we get it wrong. That's an encouragement, I hope. So as we close this book, James will close off dealing with words and actions. <coughs> Throughout the book, he's, he's dealt with these things. So it's only right that he would deal with the same things at the end. So James chapter 5, let's read the whole thing. And we'll cover from 13 to the end. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you, and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mow your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in a day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the just. He does not resist you. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits. For the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until he receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the, door, the, the, Lord, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. 
You have heard the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Above all, but above all, my brethren, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call on the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins going back to verse 13 where we'll pick up what an awesome way for for james to finish off the letter to the 12 tribes which were scattered abroad his, his encouragement to these brethren who had, who had been persecuted and then split from, from Jerusalem and taken off into so many different places, as he writes to them, his encouragement is pray. Knowing all that they had faced in light of the persecution, knowing all that they were facing, where they were at being persecuted, and the persecution that they would face ahead of them, he encourages them to pray. Seven times in six verses, from verses 13 to 18, seven times he uses the word pray, prayer, or prayed. His heart was for them to to understand what it means to pray. To not just go about their business, but to acknowledge God. You see, prayer is is spiritual in nature, if you didn't know that already. When you really think about it, you're talking to someone you've never seen. And for the most part, you've never heard audibly. But you're talking to someone and you're hoping or you trust that someone is on the other end listening when you pray. But prayer is also practical in nature. As a Christian, when you really think about it, if you are a believer in Christ, it's practical in nature because you know, you do know that someone is listening on the other end when you're talking, when you're speaking, when you're praying. Again, when you really think about it and you begin to pray, even when you're praying out loud or even just in your mind, you're going, 
Is, is it like really happening right now? But it is. It's a practical thing for us because you do know that somebody is there. You understand that. You see, it becomes the only reasonable thing to do as a Christian. It is the first thing that you think about. It is the only thing that comes to mind before you do anything. Before you you get up out of bed, you should be acknowledging the one who made you. The one who is listening in heaven. The one who hears you all the time. The one that knows you more intimately than you know yourself. It is the most reasonable thing to do as a Christian. Because prayer is that hotline that you have that's always open, that's always ready to go to the one who could provide for any need. Any need that you could possibly have. He, he, he could provide for any need. How, doesn't matter how complex it is. What's your need? How, how impossible is that need? He is the only one that could take care of it if he so desires. We, we have been given the privilege to pray. Anytime we have to. Anywhere we want to. About anything we need to. And for anyone we wish to. And nobody can hinder us from that. Except you. You know, I I think oftentimes we we say, oh man, we're just battling because it's hard to pray. Really? Whose fault is that? Oh, the enemy. You you know what? You can use that excuse all day long. But the enemy cannot stop you from praying. Oh, he can throw things in there, but it's up to you to like put them away and continue to pray. Oh, but he just makes it so difficult. (sighs) Again, Nobody can hinder us. He cannot. He can try to throw some roadblocks, but but you have that direct access. You are the only one that can hinder yourself from praying. Other people can't hinder you from praying. They can tell you, hey, I don't want you witnessing to me, and and you can respect them. But if they told you, hey, you don't don't even pray for me, they really can't stop you from praying for them. Because you could be praying for them as they're telling you, don't pray for me. In your mind, you could be praying for them. Because they can't stop you. Nobody can stop you from praying. We have that privilege, that direct hotline to Him that nobody can get in the way there except me and you. Verse 13, He says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. And so the call goes out. As he's finishing up this letter, he, he, the call goes out, is anyone among you? And he's, he, he, he's writing to, he, he's saying this, this call that goes out is not just to those who were reading it back then. The call goes out to us today. Is there anyone among you that is suffering? Anyone among you that is cheerful? And if we take a second to look at that verse, we fall under one or two categories. One of those categories, you're either suffering or you're, or you're cheerful. It's one of those areas right there. The, the, the word suffering means to undergo hardship, to be afflicted, enduring affliction, or suffering trouble. The, the, the Amplified uses the words ill-treated or, or suffering evil. And so you might be thinking, well, gosh, I'm not suffering. Not, not, not like when you give us those definitions. Then you should be cheerful. 
If you're not going through those things, you should be cheerful. You go, well, I'm not cheerful either. Probably because you're acting too serious and you think you're too mature. (laughs) You should be cheerful. Because you should be falling under one of those categories. Because if you're not suffering in that way that, that he's describing, then where's the joy? There should be joy coming from your heart if you're not downright just suffering. There should be something happening there. But he says, is anyone suffering? James gives the solution if you're in that situation. And the solution is pray. Underline it. Pray. Circle it. Pray. That's the solution if you're struggling, if you're suffering, pray. Pray? That's it? Yeah, that's it. That is what a matured Christian does when they are suffering. They pray. They pray first and foremost before anything. It's not to say that you can't go to a brother or sister so that they could pray with you but you should have gone to Christ, to Jesus, before you went to them in the first place. Because that is what we're supposed to do. Oh, we are there for one another. We are called to be there for one another. To bear one another's burdens. But you should not be going to your brother and sister first without going to Jesus. Because you can't get nothing from your brother and sister that you cannot get from Jesus first. And if you go to your brother and sister first and they ask you, well, have you prayed? It's like, well, no. It's like, well, shame on you. You should have gone to Jesus because I have nothing to offer you apart from Jesus. And so hopefully they say, well, let's pray right now. (laughs) Let's lead you to Jesus. Because if you're going to someone else before Jesus, then that person should be pointing you back to Jesus first and foremost. Because they have nothing to offer you apart from Jesus. And so that's what the solution is. And then he says, oh, where am I at? You are going, good, man, he's going to finish quicker. Um, no, I found my place. The Bible does tell us that we are to be there for one another because we are the body of Christ. Psalm 14, 40, verse 17, and you can jot these down. Psalm uh, 40, 17, it says, But I am poor and needy, Yet the Lord thinks upon me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my Lord, O my God. If He thinks about you all the time, should you not be thinking about Him all the time to where you're going to Him for prayer when you're suffering? He is your help in time of need. Psalm 121, 1 and 2, it says... I will lift up my eyes to the hills from whence, my, from whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. We are to run to Him when we're going through suffering. That's where we find our help first and foremost. Oh, thank God that we have our brothers and sisters who will come alongside and be there for us and with us. But we are to go to Him first and foremost. And then he says, is anyone among you cheerful? 
Is there anyone among you who, who, who is of good cheer, uh, 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 merry, <laughs> that, that, that have that merriment inside of them? Glad of heart is the word. He, he has a, a solution for that too. Well, we need a solution for that? Yeah, of course. Is anyone among you going through this? Being cheerful? Sing psalms. In other words, praise Him. Praise Him. If you are not suffering in the way that we've described suffering, are you praising Him? He says, sing psalms. That's where we should be at. Singing psalms. Because just the way you would go... To Him, in times, in hard times, you should be running to Him in good times. You see, that's what a mature Christian does. A mature Christian does, or does not just go to God when he's down. He goes to Him at all times, when he's up or down. That's the sign of a, a, a mature Christian. And that's what James has been trying to, to drive home, that we need to mature in a way that whatever the situation is, whether we're up or down, good or bad, the solution is prayer or praise, or should I say prayer and praise. That's where we should be all the time. And guess what? Both of those things have to do with our words and our actions. Both of those things need something to be coming out of our mouth to cry out to Him or to praise Him. And we need to be walking and to, uh, towards Him and, and, and being in His presence, doing His will, taking action. With all that goes on in our lives, whether we're up or down, whether we're suffering or rejoicing, with our faith being tested at all times... This should remind us that our faith needs to be fixed. It needs to be unchanging. It needs to be steady. You see, our faith should remain the same whether we're up or whether we're down. Our emotions should not fluctuate, or our faith should not fluctuate with our emotions. Because it doesn't matter what we're going through. Our faith needs to stay constant. That's what a mature Christian does. Verses 16 or, or 12, okay, 14 through 16. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sin, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So James asks another question. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Now, this verse, or these verses, they're used when someone is going through sickness or ailments of some kind. They, they, they are going through an, uh, an illness, in a sense. And, and they want to be anointed with oil because it represents, it's a sign of the Holy Spirit coming over them for healing. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. We have done it and we will continue to do that. 
Because for many, it is or has become a point of faith for many. Just, just being anointed with oil. It, 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 they just feel like, man, this is what I need at this moment. But people want to get anointed with oil or they want other people anointed with oil for just about anything. And, and, and that's not what it means here. Oh, they're moving from here to over there. Oh, anoint them with oil. Oh, I'm going through a difficult time. Anoint them with oil. Anoint me with oil. It's like, no, pray. That's what it's telling us. Oh, can you come over to my house and anoint my house with oil? All right. Well, my dog is like, oh, geez, I'm going to draw a line there. I'm going to draw a line. Again, that's not what is being said here, that we are just to anoint with oil for just any reason. He said, no, is anyone among you sick? Anoint with oil. Now, now these verses can and will continue to be about those who are sick or ill. And how the prayer of faith can save, heal, and make whole the sick. That's what they, 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 they mean. But the word sick that is used in verse 14, along with the question that is in it and the recommendations of what they should do, carries with it the word sick, carries with it the words feeble and weak. Feeble and weak in the Greek. And it means one who is not strong in faith or conscience. In other words, it is not referring exclusively to physical illnesses. Which makes it a little bit more understanding when we're reading this portion of Scripture. Especially when you look up the word anointing which means, or has the meaning of rubbing on. Rubbing on. And not a ceremonial pouring on. There's a difference there. You, you, you see, the, the ceremonial pouring on, when, when we read about that, they just like poured it on to where it just like got all over them. And, and, and again, when he's talking about anointing with oil here, you know, and we say, oh, can you anoint me with oil? We like usually like, oh, geez, yeah, bink. Or we like make a little cross and makes it holier or something like that. Because it's like, here, let me, and, and they're going, don't get some on my hair. <laughs> you know, if, if we were going to do more of a ceremonial rule, pouring it on, it's like, here, you want to be anointed? <laughs> it's like, oh, you're getting it on my clothes. It would be funny, we had a big old like stain right here of oil. This is where we do our anointing. Be careful when you walk by because you're going to slip. Because we really get into it. It's not the ceremonial type of anointing that we're talking about here. It's talking more of a rubbing on type, which probably wouldn't feel that bad. It's the same word, this word anoint, rubbing on. It's the same word that is used in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus, in chapter 6, spoke about fasting. He said, but when you fast, anoint your head 
and wash your face so that you do not appear to men to have to be fasting but to your father who is in the secret place and your father who sees in secret will will reward you openly you see back, back then they didn't shower every day and so they used oil to anoint themselves to look presentable to to to, to anoint their head and their hair you know, it's, it's like I was thinking about it. It's like, man, kids do that nowadays. Get the little faux hawk going, you know, <laughs> to get, get the anointed themselves. But that's what he's talking about, to rub on, to rub on to where, where you, it's almost like refreshing. He's not talking so much medicinal, but, but to rub on, to, to refresh someone when you anoint them with oil. And again, I think James, this is what he's getting at in keeping with the context of maturing, that if someone who is weak and feeble among you, one who has been struggling in the faith, who is weary, let him call for the elders and let the elders come over and pray for him, anoint him and pray for him. In other words, go over and begin to rub oil on his head, anointing him in a sense that he will be encouraged and refreshed. Because that's, again, to look presentable, to send you back out. Uplifting a brother whose head has been hanging down because of the shame that he's been going through because he's fallen into sin. Go and anoint that man. Because of the weaknesses in his life. Oh, the Lord will raise him up, it says. Of his spiritual defeat. Using spiritual brothers to pray for him. And so these these, these scriptures begin to make sense in light of what he is saying here to, to make well or to restore. This restoration process that takes place, it almost seems like, like he's talking more on the spiritual sense than on the physical sense, the ailment sense. Because James has been talking here as we're reading to go over and anoint the sick and he will be saved and he will be, if he's committed any sin, he will be forgiven, confess your sin. And so he's kind of talking about If somebody has fallen in that sense, go and anoint him with oil. When you have righteous men coming alongside of you, then much will be availed, much will be gained, accomplished. So let the healing begin. (laughs) When, when, When one is sick in that sense. Galatians 6, 1 and 2, it says, Brethren, If a man is overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We are to be there for one another. Verses 17 and 18. James has already mentioned the prophets in Job in this chapter who these guys were familiar with, these Old Testament guys. And now he mentions another from the OT, Elijah. Right away, James says that Elijah, that, that, that he was a man with a nature like ours. But I have to admit something to you that I had a hard time with Elijah for the longest time. I've gotten over it. 
Um, but I had a hard time with him for, for a time because everything he did, if you know his stories, everything he did was amazing. The, the, nothing, he, he never seemed to fail at anything that, that, that God told him to do. And instead of being happy for him, I just like, I couldn't relate to him. I just thought, man, dude, everything you do. And even knowing his story, or if you know the story of when he fled from, from Queen Jezebel, even when he fled from her, he ended up going and, and sitting in, in this cave and hearing from God. And I'm thinking, there you go, man. Man, everything is, goes his way. But it wasn't until, and this was several years ago, so I have gotten over him. Several years ago, I truly studied him and, and did a study about him. And I realized that when he fled, it's not like he fled from one side of town to the other. No, he like fled. He like went like 300 miles south. And he was on the run for about three months. <laughs> and I know I shouldn't be happy about that because of what he did. And, and it's interesting because in that time frame, he even like prayed, Lord, I want to die. And I thought, huh, I can relate to him now. Yeah, now I, now, now I see that he's like, he's just like me. Again, instead of being happy. <laughs> but you know, I, I found a, I had a newfound respect for him after I like studied him a little bit more. Because now I could relate to him. Because he was just a little girl like I am, a little chalala. <laughs> And so I think, yeah, he is a good example of a righteous man who is just like me. He sought the Lord. And after a great victory, he was discouraged. It's like, wow, I can relate to him. He had his ups and downs, but yet he was obedient to the Lord. And when he prayed, things happened because he earnestly prayed. He didn't give up. And you might think, well, yeah, he's still Elijah, man. He like, he got taken up in a chariot of fire. It's like, who does that? I, I know, I know. But he's just a man. He is just a man with the same nature like ours. He really is. He wasn't perfect, but he was obedient. And he trusted God and he didn't stop praying. Verses 19 and 20. It says, brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from his error, from the error of his way, will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. James didn't specifically name prayer here, but it is implied. If we are to pray for the afflicted and the sick, and we must pray for the brothers who are wandering from the truth. And these two verses show us once again the heart of James and the love that he has for the brethren. He truly had a heart for them. He had a love for the church. With all that they had gone through, he continued to pour into them. He had a deep concern for all of them, but he knew that some of them were wandering. And he wanted to encourage those who were near to them to reach out to them and bring them back from wandering. It's interesting because the word error, or the word 
wander in, in the King James's error. But the word in the, in the Greek is planeteth. And we get our word planet, uh, planet from. And it just kind of is a picture of a wandering planet. But it really means cause to roam from safety, truth, and virtue. The practical application here is that of talking and taking action. I know it would be much easier to just let a backsliding brother be. Just let him go. He'll learn. He'll come back. But we have been called to restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness. Speaking the truth in love to them and letting love cover a multitude of sin. You see, the mature Christian will have to talk and take actions to go after someone like that so that they can continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. As we close here, the book of James is not complicated. Not at all. It's just hard. (laughs) Because it is so straightforward and so straight up. It's not impossible to do the things that we've been encouraged through the book of James. It's not impossible. They're just hard to obey. Because it goes against our fleshly grain. (laughs) We just don't like hearing it. Because it's so honest. Christian life is hard, princess. And if anyone tells you different, they are trying to sell you something. The book of James, let it be your friend. (laughs) Let the book of James be your friend, the kind of friend that is honest with you. Not because they want you to, or want to belittle, belittle you or keep you down, but the type of friend that wants to see you grow and mature. That is the book of James. Amen? Let's stand as we close in prayer. Father in heaven, we do thank you and praise you, Lord, for your faithfulness, for your goodness, Lord, for your promises that are so plain. Lord, the challenge with this book, Lord, is that it's so honest. And many of us who have had a hard time sometimes with James, it's because you, 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 you spoke to us and, and hit us in our core. And you wanted to change us and we didn't want to change. <laughs> but I want to pray for my brothers and sisters right now, Lord. I pray for, for my brothers and sisters that, God, you would just strengthen them today. That, Lord, they would desire to look to you for, for strength, for encouragement. That, Lord, your word has spoken to them in a powerful way that it cannot be denied within their own hearts, Lord, and that they would be obedient and faithful to what your word says. I pray right now, Lord, that if there's any here who are wandering and they know that, Lord, I pray that this morning you have convicted their hearts. And I ask, God, that they would turn back to you, that, Lord, they would repent of their sin. Lord, if they're sick in that sense that that they, they, they have been feeble and weak, pray that this morning, Lord God, you would lift them up and encourage them, Father. I just want to pray right now. I just want to ask that if there's any of you right now, you're a brother, you're a sister in the Lord, and you have been weak 
and feeble. And I just want to lift you up to the Lord. I, I, I pray that right now you would, you would turn to God first and foremost. But is there any of you that just needs that, that, that prayer? Just raise your hand. I, I want to pray for you, your brother, your sister in the Lord. Just keep them up. I just want to, I, I just want to pray for you right now. Anybody else? Father, I do, I do want to pray right now for those who have their hands up, Lord. That they know that they've been weak, they've been feeble, Lord. They've, been, they've just been wandering, Lord. Right now, I pray that you would just help them. That they would repent, Lord God. That they would ask for forgiveness. That they would confess their sin. And Lord, that you would just bring them to a place of healing. And God, that you would just lift them up by your power. Lord. I thank you, Lord God, for the work that you're going to do in them. Thank you, Lord, I pray that if there's any who don't know you this morning that are in, in this room, Lord, please, Lord God, convict their hearts, Lord God. Show them how much you love them, that they might turn to you, that they would ask for forgiveness and become born again. I thank you, Lord, for your spirit who is so powerful and is doing work in men's and women's hearts right now. Thank you, Lord. We give you glory and honor and praise, Lord do a work right now in people's hearts and lives. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.